Last week, one of our sermon illustrations was about Ludwig van Beethoven. And when he was over the age of 50, he was totally deaf. And he was observed one day just taking both hands and just pounding on the keys of the piano because he was so angry. And he says, I will take life by the throat. He wasn't going to give in, although he had a disability. Things that would hold a lot of people back. He was going to grab life by the throat and take charge. He wasn't going to let it take him. We see in Nehemiah chapter 13 that Nehemiah had to take several situations by the throat when there was disobedience to God's word involved. In verses 4 through 9, we, we saw that the high priest Eliashib gave a room in the temple to an Ammonite because he was a relative. He cleared out the stuff, the, the offerings that were brought in the utensils that were used to worship God, and he let Tobiah move in. Tobiah wasn't even supposed to be within the city limits. And here we're giving him a room in the house of God. Nehemiah was back in Babylon on the time where I don't think that ever would have happened. Well, I know it wouldn't have happened. Because when he got back from Babylon from his visit to the king there, he took everything of Tobias and threw it out of the house of God. He said, get that out of here. It has no place here. He sent the other guys in to clean it up. He didn't even want the smell of Tobiah left in that room. And then in the verses 10 through 14, last week we looked at the fact that the, the, the offerings were not coming into the house. That's well, probably because Tobiah was living in the storeroom where they were supposed to be stored if they were brought in. Nehemiah took it by the throat. He reprimanded the officials. He got the singers and the gatekeepers back in. And he told the people to start bringing the offerings back, and they did. What a difference you can make in your home and in your community, one person makes, can make a huge difference. I don't remember what year it was. It was uh, I think it was in the early, late 1800s, early 1900s, but there was a vote in Congress whether we should speak English or German in our country. One vote made the difference. Not that that made us a better or worse country because of the language we spoke, but we speak English today, not German, because of one vote. One person can make a difference. And a person that's on fire for God can make a big difference in your family, in our community, in our church. Chuck Swindoll says, I've never known anyone who uprooted a deep-seated wrong without first becoming sufficiently angry. Anger can stir, can stir up motivation. We need to declare an all-out war against wrong in our personal lives. It's one of the things we saw in Bible school this week. The kingdom of evil against the kingdom of good. God leading us in the battle against Satan. A spiritual battle. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against wickedness, spiritual darkness. 
Ephesians chapter 6. And you got to be brave and take a stand for what is right, just as Nehemiah did. And we're going to continue on today in verses 15 through 22 of Nehemiah chapter 13. I'll start reading. I'm going to read the first three verses or four verses and then we'll, we'll go over that and then read the rest. In those days I saw in Judah, starting in verse 15, some who were treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sacks of grain and loading them on donkeys as well as wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads. And they brought them into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. So I admonished them on the day they sold food. Also, men of Tyre were living who imported fish and all kinds of merchandise and sold them to the sons of Judah on the Sabbath, even in Jerusalem. Then I reprimanded the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you are doing by profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do the same so that our God brought on us and on this city all this trouble? Yet you are adding to the wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. Turn with me briefly to Genesis chapter 2, where Stephen read a few minutes ago. Then the heavens, Genesis 2, then the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts, and by the seventh day, God completed his work which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Was God tired? Just plum tuckered out from creation? No. He was to set, he was setting the example for what the Sabbath was to be for his people. The Sabbath was to be a day of rest. No work was to be done. There was to be no selling or buying. There was only so far you could walk. You weren't supposed to cook. You prepared the meals the day before. It was to be a day set aside for the Lord. To meditate on Him. To think on the Scriptures. To focus on Him. Not all the, the hubbub of our, our the other six days of the week. It was a day to be set aside. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. 
just in case you thought Genesis was a fluke, and it was just a, you know, just a, you had to fill the seventh day with something, right? So, you know, he'd already created everything, so you might as well take a day of rest. Well, it was a little more important than that, and it was a matter so much to the fact that it's one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt. Your servants weren't even supposed to do any work for you on that day. It was to be a day of rest for them as well. A day of rest for everyone. It was a protected space. A special time to enjoy God. Specifically for Him. Without the cares of the world crowding in. That song, we gotta, we got to memorize, we got to have it in our brain. It needs to be on the tip of our tongue. It's important. It's really important that we do that. And the Jews would take the Sabbath as a time to just focus and concentrate on God. Not that they ignored in the rest of the week. But very specifically, the Sabbath was the day that they were to meditate on the Lord, to focus on Him. So as we, as we get back to our song that we've been singing the last few weeks and, and back to Nehemiah, it's about obedience. It's about being obedient to the commands for the Jews in Jerusalem, for all the Jews, but specifically here for the Jews in Jerusalem. It was about obedience to the Heavenly Father. It was about obedience to His commandments. How they would show their love for the Father, their Heavenly Father, by living and walking in truth and by being obedient to God's Word. All these, all these things that are listed in verse 15 that they're doing on the Sabbath were absolutely forbidden. It wasn't an option. Ah, if you feel like it, go ahead. Take an extra hour off on you know Sunday, the first day of the week. No. It wasn't an option for them. They were not to be doing this on the Sabbath. Okay, now, uh, there, we have to understand that at no point does the Sabbath become Sunday. Okay? The Sabbath was strictly a Jewish thing. It was for the Jews. But there are principles that we bring forward into our lives today in the church. But don't, don't get me wrong. We're, we're not under the law. We're not under the laws of the Sabbath. This was for the Jews. But just, just as we have the opportunity to be obedient to God and show Him how much we love Him by our actions and by being obedient to His Word, this was a very direct way for the Jews to prove to God that they loved Him was by obedience, by obeying His Word. 
And so at the end of verse 15, Nehemiah says, So I admonished them on the day they sold food. He didn't wait until the day after. He saw their error, he saw their sin, and he called them out on it right then and there. The people that were in the marketplace on the Sabbath selling. He grabbed it. I don't, I don't think he physically grabbed any of them by the throat, but he, he, he had some righteous anger. And he admonished them and he said, you shouldn't be doing this. We've talked about this many times in the last few weeks, the, the church in, in Corinth. Paul admonished them. He says, you guys are doing sins that aren't even mentioned among the world. Why are you doing that? And Nehemiah here grabs the situation by the throat and he says, stop doing it. You're disobeying the law of God. And he admonished them on the day they sold the food. He didn't didn't wait again. We've said this repeatedly too in this chapter. He didn't wait for a council or a committee. He didn't have to stop and pray and say, God, should we obey you or not? Duh. That's a no-brainer. You don't have to pray about asking God whether we should obey Him or not. Obey. That's simple. Obey. So he grabs the situation by the throat and he admonishes those that are doing it. Then in verse 16, he talks about others. the, the, The merchants that were coming from outside to bring and to sell. And at the end of verse 16, he says, even in Jerusalem, wasn't just outside the gate, just wasn't in the surrounding area, but they had the gall and the nerve to come into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Nehemiah's second step in grabbing the situation by the throat is verse 17. Then I reprimanded the nobles of Judah. Is anybody sick of these nobles yet through the whole book of Nehemiah? Man, they've never got their act together. He's always having to call them out, and they're always trying to get in the way. Who do these nobles think they are? So he reprimands the nobles. You you know, the nobles weren't the one actually doing the selling in the marketplace. The ones that were have already been admonished in verse 15. But the leaders are responsible for the actions of the people. Doesn't always flow downhill. When when it's done right and the leaders, the, the responsibility goes uphill. I reprimand the nobles. What is this evil thing you are doing by profaning the Sabbath? Uh Uh-oh, he just lost a few more votes for the next gubernatorial race. He called what they're doing evil. Sin is sin. Disobeying God and breaking His commands is sin. It's evil. It's evil in God's sight. It's wrong. He wasn't afraid to call him out. He wasn't afraid to call it like he saw it. He wasn't afraid to call it it like it was. 
What is this evil thing that you are doing? He says, what is this evil thing that you are doing by profaning the Sabbath? They weren't the ones selling in the marketplace. What's he talking about? They weren't doing it. What's he getting on their case for? Because as the leaders in the city of Jerusalem, they had a responsibility. They should have been the one calling out to sin. They should have been the one admonishing those selling in the marketplace. Makes us think, we can think to to Matthew chapter 21, where Christ came into the temple and threw the money changers out and flipped the tables over. He was angry because they were doing that in his father's house. That ought not to be. So Nehemiah is yelling at the nobles here. He says, guys, why are you doing this evil thing? It's as if you are doing it because you're turning a blind eye. You're turning away. You're letting it happen. Under your watch, you're letting it go on. So I reprimanded the nobles of Judah. What are you doing by profaning the Sabbath day? Oh, you guys, we got to study history. Did not your fathers do the same thing so that our God brought on us and on this city all this trouble? Yet you are adding to the wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. Why don't we learn? Talked last week about the song, Steve Green's song talks about, may those that uh, follow behind us find us faithful. 2 Timothy 2.2 talks about the Word of God and and being to to train others from generation to generation that we would teach faithful men. That the truth would not have an end, that it would not come to a halt. Nehemiah says, "You you guys need to go back to to school and learn your history here. Your fathers did the same thing. And that's why we're in the situation we're in. Nehemiah had to come back and rebuild the walls because they've been torn down by the uh, Babylonians when they were dragged off to captivity. Haven't you guys learned anything? Do you not pay attention to what's gone on before? And the judgment that came before is still on us today. Because you're doing it again. How can we expect to not have God's wrath on our lives if we continually disobey? If we don't learn from the past? First step is he admonished the ones actually selling the food and, and, and doing what they weren't supposed to be doing in the marketplace on the Sabbath. Then he reprimands. He reprimands the leaders, the nobles, the scoundrels. Because they were the ones that should have been stopping it. Basically what the nobles were saying was, the buck doesn't stop here. Nehemiah called them out for it. Verse 19 through 22. And it came about that just as it grew dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the door should be shut and that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. 
It's one way to keep the riffraff out. Then I stationed some of my servants at the gate that no load should enter on the Sabbath day. Once or twice the traders and merchants of every kind of merchandise spent the night outside Jerusalem, and then I warned them, and I said to them, Why do you spend the night in front of the wall? If you do so again, I will use force against you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. And I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come as gatekeepers to sanctify the Sabbath day. For this also remember me, O my God, and have compassion on me according to the greatness of your loving kindness. He did, he took action. He was more than words. Okay, he admonished the sellers, he admonished the nobles. But he realized human nature being what it is, that that wasn't going to quite cut it. That wasn't enough. Did he trust the gatekeepers? No, because who doesn't like to take a little bribe and let just a couple of the merchants slide through the gate? He put his own servants there, the ones that he could trust, the ones that he knew would obey the word of God. And they would also obey Nehemiah and do what he told them to do. I commanded that those doors be shut, stationed some of his servants at the gate. One thing I wanted to draw in and I forgot to is just real quick was, remember Eliashib, the high priest, he was the head of the storehouses in the temple. Well, when they threw Tobiah out and then verses 10 through 14, where they started bringing the, the offerings back into the storehouses, guess who wasn't head of the storehouse anymore? Eliashib. He was done. He was gone. And in in verse uh, 13, sorry, I'm going backwards here just for a second, but verse 13 says, In charge of the storehouse, I appointed Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and Padiah of the Levites. In addition to them was Hanan the son of Zakur, the son of Mataniah, for they were considered reliable. Eliashib wasn't, he got rid of him. He got some reliable guys in there. That's why he brought in some of his servants, some reliable guys, to back up the gatekeepers and to make sure that what went on there was according to the law, that they would shut out the merchants and that they would not be allowed in on the Sabbath. And then he even took it another step further. And this obviously is taking place over a few weeks. This isn't just a one-time occurrence. We, we discovered that when Nehemiah came back from Babylon, he had his eyes open. He, he was on the alert. He was looking, especially after the Tobiah incident. He had his eyes open. As a leader, he was looking for other spiritual weaknesses for other sin that was being committed in the community so that he could root it out and grab it by the throat. And so after a couple of weeks, those merchants still came on the Sabbath and waited outside the gate until it would open. 
Well, Nehemiah knew that if he turned his back and he didn't keep his servants at the gate, that they'd keep coming back and eventually the gatekeepers would open the door for him again just because, like it said in verse 18, did not your fathers do the same thing? He knew they would go right back to their old ways. It's a good thing we never do that. Verse 21, I warned him and said, get lost, just get out of here. Leave. You're not going to come in here on the Sabbath day, so just get out of here. Because if you come back on the Sabbath again, I'm going to get the army. I'm going to use force to throw you out of here. I think by this time, Nehemiah had a bit of a reputation. I think they probably believed him. I have to be careful with my grandkids because I know I'm getting old and crotchety. I still got to love them, be kind, you know, like I was with ours on good days. I don't want to pat myself on the back. There was good days and bad days. We all have them, right? But Nehemiah is just a crotchety old curmudgeon. What's his problem? Somebody spitting his Cheerios this morning or something. I have never known anyone who uprooted a deep-seated wrong without first becoming sufficiently angry. Anger can stir up motivation. We need to declare an all-out war against wrong in our personal lives. We need to get angry about it. If anything, we should get angry at ourselves as well. It's easy to get angry at somebody else's sin. (laughs) Didn't hear a single amen to that one. Should we practice? (laughs) I'm speaking God's word. All right, so you can say amen at any time, it's allowed. How often do we get angry at ourselves about our own sin? He warned him, why do you spend the night in front of the wall? If you do it again, I'll use force against you. (laughs) It's not quite as exciting as that one in chapter 6, but it's pretty good. And it says, from that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. I think my new favorite verse in Nehemiah I've shared with you, chapter 6, where the, the wall was done and the nations around recognized that God had done it. This, this is a good line too, though. I like this. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. And I commanded the Levites that they should par- purify themselves and come as gatekeepers to sanctify the Sabbath day. We need to honor God. It's not just something we do on a whim. 
It's not we do something on a lark. It's not something we do on a, oh, it's a, I'm having a good day today, so thank you, Lord. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew 6. thought I wrote down the wrong chapter and verse, and I realized I'm looking in chapter 5 instead of chapter 6. There we go. That looks a little better. Matthew 6.33, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The people that were selling in the gate on the Sabbath were more concerned about with their financial security than they were their spiritual security. This is a principle that we can pull forward to today. The Sabbath was theirs. We celebrate the first day of the week. We celebrate Sunday because that's the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Are we under the same restrictions under the law? Absolutely not. Does God honor it if we set Sunday aside to worship Him and to remember Him and to concentrate on Him and to focus on Him? Absolutely. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. If, if we seek His kingdom first, as we were studying in Bible school this week, that we need to seek the kingdom of righteousness, that we need to seek the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Satan or the realm of evil or, or Satan or the world. But we need to seek His kingdom, the kingdom of truth. Psalm 119. Listen, I'm going to hop a couple of verses real quick, so just listen if you would. Psalm 119, verse 14, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, yes, above fine gold. I rejoice at your word as one who finds great spoil. People selling in the gates put their pocketbook ahead of their worship of the Lord and their obedience to Him. Do you remember what happened to King Saul? The Amalekites? Samuel came and said, What is that bleeding of sheep that I hear? They were supposed to utterly destroy the Amalekites. Men, women, children, animals. Every animal that there was. Don't tell PETA. But they were supposed to obey God because that's what God commanded them to do. And Saul disobeyed. He wanted to keep the best. Oh, I kept the best for God. We're going to worship, sacrifice. We're going to give sacrifices to God. God didn't want it. He wanted their obedience. Remember when we studied Joshua, a little story about Achan? 
Yeah, he was doing a little more naked. His whole family perished because of his sin. He saw the robe and the gold and he wanted, and he hid it in his tent thinking, oh, God won't see it here. <laughs> Him and his family paid the price. And Paul talks about Demas in, in, in uh, 2 Timothy. Demas left the ministry to pursue the world and its riches. Those were more important to him than eternal riches with our Heavenly Father in glory. story is told of a husband and wife and their young son started coming to church. They were active. They were involved. Kid was in kids club. They were active in Sunday school. And all of a sudden, dad stopped coming. After a few weeks, the minister went to their house to visit with them and find out what was up. Husband wasn't home. He was at work, but the, the wife and the son were there. And she said, well, she said, my husband wants a bigger house. So he took a job on the weekends. We don't need a bigger house. We don't even need the money. We're, we're comfortable where we're at. But he decided that his family needed a, a bigger house. So he was going to work on the weekends. Didn't have time for church. This is a true story. The young child became ill with a rare disease. And all the money that dad earned on the weekends went to pay medical bills. Now the, the commentator that shared that illustration says be sure to that, that, and understand that everybody that does that, God isn't going to make their child sick and pay for the sins of the parents. But rest assured that if we don't honor God with what we have and with what He's given us and with what He's provided, we will miss out on His blessing. You cannot rob God and profit from it. These guys in the gates on the Sabbath day were more concerned about their pocketbooks when all God wanted was their obedience. That's one of those illustrations as I read and, and do my studying that it just it just grinds me because they never tell you what the what the end result was if the the child passed away because of this disease or or what you know always want to send an email to the to the author of the commentary and say hey what happened here <laughs> is the kid okay or what did the dad come back did he understand what he did was wrong. God wants our obedience. Nehemiah took it by the throat. He admonished those doing the selling. He rebuked the nobles. And then he took, and that was verbal. Then he took action. He shut the gates and he made sure they stayed gates. And he, and he got the, the merchants coming not to come back. 
And he ends in verse 22 there. He said, for this also remember me, O my God, and have compassion on me according to the greatness of your loving kindness. He wasn't looking for man's approval. He wasn't looking for votes in the next election. He was more concerned about God's hand on his life. So give me a break. We've got the opportunity to take a break on Sundays. God's given us that. Take advantage of it. Spend time. And we do, we obviously do here on Sunday mornings. Spend time in His Word. We spend time worshiping Him with our offerings, with our voices, singing to Him. All our acts of worship to Him. And He would much prefer our obedience. That's His choice. He, he wants us to be obedient because, as the song says, and by, by obedience, it's the very best thing, but it's the very best way to show that you believe. And when we obey, God knows that we love Him. God, we thank You for Your Word and its truth. Thank you for Nehemiah and his standing for truth. Not not caving to the forces of evil. Father, I pray for everyone in here today. That in this coming week, we would be more obedient to you this week than we were last week. That you will know that we love you because of our obedience to you. Stir up our hearts, God. Help us to get angry at sin in our own lives. Help us to get angry enough to do something about it in the power of the Spirit. We can't do it on our own, Father. We need your help. So help us this week, Father. Give us wisdom. Give us strength. Give us perseverance, Father. Help us to be obedient to you because we love you. And we want to show our love to you by obeying your word and your truth. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't forget to help Teresa carry boxes.